What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast is a production of the Factual Data Creation Facility. Welcome, one and all. Eh, who are we kidding here? Probably just to the one who'll listen. And that will most likely be me to the seventh edition of the Straight From The Desk podcast. I have but three things to discuss today, so why don't we get to them? First up, Hurricane Ian has come and gone, leaving death and destruction across three states in his wake. Of course, the mainstream media has chosen, as they have in the past, to politicize this unfortunate event. I've noticed they usually do this when either a Republican governor or president or both are involved. When current President Biden visited the state of Florida to survey the damage from the hurricane, the press thought he would snub the Republican governor and Biden critic DeSantis. Well, he didn't. The press then eagerly awaited the meeting, expecting some sort of back and forth between the two men. This didn't happen as the men were cordial towards each other, as they should be in circumstances like this. That left the press both bewildered and stunned, not sure how to report this story. And we also had the latest, which is now common, CNN embellishment. One of the network's reporters, quote-unquote, is out on the streets of Florida as the storm is coming in. Between statements linking this particular hurricane to climate change, he appears to be struggling against strong winds and the camera is also shaking. Behind the reporter, a pedestrian calmly walks towards and eventually enters his vehicle and drives off, seemingly unaffected by the winds which are supposedly jostling around the reporter and the camera person. It's all nothing but stage drama. CNN has been caught before doing this and will probably be caught again. The rest of the MSN has been giddily linking all bad weather events to their elite master's sacred climate change screed. As if hurricanes, tornadoes, and the like never existed before. Now, do I think that climate is changing? Yes, I do. Do I believe it's due to humans? Partially. 
Do I believe rushing headlong into this green paradise without a backup plan is the thing to do? Well, no. What I do believe is that climate change is being used by the global elites as a way to siphon off even more money from the poor and middle classes of the world. I think what the global elites are going for is a world government modeled after the Chinese Communist Party system. And that's just my opinion. Next, now continuing with the mainstream media, thanks to the internet and independent podcasters like the No Agenda podcast, for example, we have proof that most of our media is bought and paid for by various interests. I've seen and heard compilations of European and domestic media outlets parroting the latest message from the elites word for word. The latest being calling the newly elected Prime Minister of Italy, Giorgia Meloni, far-right and fascist. The BBC, Euronews, France 24, most U.S. outlets, and many, many more saying the same exact thing. I listened to a compilation that went on for about three minutes of the various newsreaders from around the world repeating the far-right and fascist mantra until being cut short by Adam Curry. Why aren't socialist or communist heads of state ever called out as far left? Also, notice the term Nazi appears to be out of favor with leftists who used to use the term to deride anyone not agreeing with their current agenda. Why? I think they have finally figured out what most intelligent people already knew. Nazi referred to the National Socialist German Workers' Party. Now that's hardly a right-wing name or organization. Fascist is now the preferred insult. Another recent example from the No Agenda show was a compilation of MSM interviews where the different guests would end with the statement, Get the damn shot. Or how about the old standby statement, Safe and effective, all the elites who have gotten COVID despite receiving four of these shots were ending their tweets with in order to defend the vaccine that didn't seem to work for them. What I'm seeing now is video testimonials from various famous people who have gotten Bell's palsy from the jab, but claim that they'd do it again because it's the right thing to do. So, my point is, just because the reporting is coming from a large media organization doesn't mean it's true or the whole truth, regardless of if they call themselves a, quote, trusted source, unquote. Now, to quote my late grandmother, Irene, it's always about the money. My advice is to use multiple sources from all sides of the political spectrum and independent sources. Then decide for yourself what the truth is. Finally, as I approach my upcoming retirement, I've been looking back at my careers, and yes, I've, I've had two of them, with some melancholy. I'm also glad I've almost made it to retirement and retirement age. Some friends and acquaintances didn't have the chance to retire from working life like I do. The luck of the draw, or destiny, I guess. Now, I'm not even going to attempt to go down that road here and now. Perhaps another time. Thank you. I've seen a lot of changes since starting out in the working world, especially technology-wise. The first computer I used was the Univac 1052. It was already a 15-year-old mainframe computer when I first started using it. The 1050 used very large magnetic drums for memory. I think each drum held a whopping 32K kilobits. That's kilobyte, excuse me, not gigabyte of memory. You interface with the beast through remote terminals. Now, not video streamed terminals, but terminals that would print to paper the results. If I'm remembering correctly, you can only run system inquiries on these things. 
For any serious computing, you had to follow a strict format while writing the instructions and get these instructions transcribed onto key punch cards. After getting the cards back from the dedicated key punch operators, you had to make sure everything was correct lest you get a reject notice, and that was a major no-no that had to be corrected and cleared within 24 hours. If you were responsible for too many of these reject notices, you had to attend mandatory training on your days off, and that was incentive not to get these things. The cards were fed into the 1050 by the computer guys, and the results would be placed in a dedicated distribution box for your section. This sounds like fun, right? Years later, I used dumb terminals from the Burroughs Corporation, which did feature white-on-black screens. Now, this was the future, I remember thinking to myself. At that time, I bought my first personal computers. First, a Tandy Radio Shack Model 4 all-in-one, then a Tandy Color Computer, which was awesome, a semi-compatible IBM clone, the Sanyo MBC 550, which was made of metal, and finally a fully IBM-compatible leading-edge PC, which was actually manufactured by the Japanese company Mitsubishi. I loved that computer, which I had connected to a 1200-baud modem and visited electronic bulletin board services, better known as BBCs. No internet for us peasants back then. Unfortunately, I was assigned to a remote base and left the leading-edge PC with, well, let's call him an acquaintance, who I never saw again. Now, on this remote assignment, we interface with the mainframe with PCs in terminal mode from the Sperry Corporation. These PCs look very familiar to me, and they should have. These PCs were rebadged Mitsubishi PCs, the same exact thing as the leading-edge PC I left behind. The only difference was these Sperry PCs had a 30-megabyte hard drive, something I couldn't afford for my personal leading-edge. I was so familiar with these things that the computer guys often requested my assistance in repairing them. The last computer system I interfaced with during my military career was again a PC running a terminal emulation program. I don't recall the manufacturer this time. What I remember is being able to look up fellow service members and being able to get in touch with guys I served with long ago using this newfangled email thing. Of course email wasn't new. I had an email address provided from one of those BBSs I used to visit, and of course, AOL was around then. The first time I ever saw email in action was in a neighbor's apartment circa 1980. He was a jet propulsion engineer and had a terminal in his living room hooked up to this thing called ARPANET, which, of course, is where the current internet we know and sometimes love comes from. On my current job, I was shocked when I found out that they still used punch cards for certain things and that us lower echelon folk had absolutely no access to computers. In order to enter an incident of any type, we had to hand write the details and codes and submit this up the chain before someone put it into a computer. Eventually, there were first dumb terminals we could access and then finally PCs. Currently, we use mini PCs and everything is in the cloud, which of course is just other people's computers. The cloud makes a lot of programs more accessible, but seems to be slower than the old server system and goes down more often. Then again, thanks to the cloud and, of course, Office 365, I can write long-winded scripts like this while on lunch break and edit and finish them at home. I wonder what technology upgrades I'll miss after my retirement. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. I'll see you later.
Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.